Hey friends, Rich here from Unseminary. Listen, in a minute, I'm going to tell you about a resource that you need to take action on today. This is going away. You do not want to miss it. You know, and I know that leadership, man, it has felt pretty uncertain and divisive this past year. Definitely the most that I've experienced in my entire life. And you know what? The future doesn't look much clearer. There's lots of uncertainty still on the horizon. How do we make decisions when the future isn't predictable and your team has so many different opinions? If you're looking for clarity on how to make decisions to advance your mission in 2021, if you're looking for how to change quickly to meet the constantly changing landscape that we face these days, if you're looking for team buy-in on every decision so you're not carrying the load alone, I want you to pick up this absolutely free resource. This is what I'm talking about from my good friend, Carrie Newhoff. It's called the Pivot Ready Cheat Sheet. This cheat sheet will give you a framework that a, that's effective and resilient uh, that leaders are using to make decisions today. To get access, go write this down to pivotreadycheatsheet.com. That's pivotreadycheatsheet.com to get your copy. Friends, this is an amazing tool. I really can't believe he's giving it to you for free. It's fantastic. Again, that's Pivot Ready Cheat Sheet. Let's jump in with today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in. You know, every week we bring you a church leader who our hope will not only inspire, but equip you. And today is no exception. I am super excited to have Andy Wood with us. He is the founding and lead pastor of a church. You need to be following Echo Church. They're located in California. Uh, They have an online campus plus four physical locations, if I can count correctly. They've been through a bunch of mergers. They uh, This is a fantastic church, the kind of people you want to follow. Uh, Andy, welcome to the show. So glad you're here. Rich, thanks so much for having me. No, this is going to be great. Why don't you tell us about Echo? Kind of to give us a little bit of the story, give us a bit of the flavor. Tell us more about the church. Yeah. When I was in high school, I had an experience that really impacted me. Uh, I grew up in a pretty traditional church mm-hmm. and I was embarrassed to take my friends to church. So I remember one time sitting in the service in high school and really sensing from the Holy Spirit, uh, what, what if you could create an environment where people who are far from mm. God could encounter God and be changed by the gospel? And so I remember praying a prayer at that point and said, God, if you'd ever use me to start a church uh, for people like my friends, I want to do that. I didn't know what that meant. It was just basically me saying, God, I'm, I'm yours. Please use me. And that began a journey for me. So I grew up just outside of Detroit, Michigan, moved to South Carolina, met my wife while we were in college. We then moved to Texas, where we went to seminary at Southwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. And while we were there, we actually planted a church on a local university campus. Um, but during that time, we knew that eventually we wanted to move outside of the Bible Belt. So back in 2007, uh, Stacy, my wife, and I were both doing an extended fast, and we were praying and really felt like the Lord was releasing us from the church that we had started there in Texas to, in essence, pursue that dream that he had put in my heart in high school. So we took out a big whiteboard, uh, wrote down what we thought were the 10 most influential cities in the country, started doing our research. And long story made short, that led us to the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, we moved out here in 2008 
uh, right as the housing market was crashing, which is a whole interesting experience that we had there uh, with a couple other families. And it's it's been a wild ride. God's done some amazing things. And it's it's not been without some bumps and challenges along the way. But uh, we've been really blessed to be a part of a work that has surprised us where God's done way more than we expected he would. Mm. Why don't you give us kind of a sense of the scale of the church, you know, pre-COVID, and then kind of what things have looked like over the last year uh, for you at Echo? Yeah. So right prior to COVID, we had just started our fourth location, and we were averaging right around 2,800 people in attendance. And then we were on the cusp of a merger with a church in our area that was averaging about 750. So we had already kind of set that into motion, and that church was becoming our fourth location. So we had a fourth location that was merging with that church. So between that, it would have been around 3,500. Um, and statistically in COVID, it stayed about that, you know, with the, the majority of that being online. And then uh, in September of 2020, we started meeting outside because that's basically what we could do here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And then we we just in March of uh, 2021, came back in the building after the uh, Supreme Court ruled that churches could start meeting inside of facilities again. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, there's so much we could talk about. I, this is an incredible story. And I know like numbers are just one piece of it. But the fact that your church has been able to impact, uh, you know, at scale, the amount of people that you have in the San Francisco Bay Area is just amazing. And I'm just excited to dig into the story. There's a lot we could talk about. But man, I can't imagine you talk about having multiple facilities. That's all super expensive. As someone who served in New Jersey, who uh, one of the counties we were in was always listed in the top five most expensive places in the country. Um, man, it just makes it's a, it's a real burden, particularly when you're starting out. I wonder if you can kind of talk us through that aspect of your story. How has the kind of facility stuff weighed in in this conversation? Yeah, that's a great question. And I got to give some credit on all of this to my upbringing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I meet a lot of pastors that grew up in pastors' homes, which is sure. a great advantage. Uh, yeah. I grew up in an entrepreneur's home. So my dad nice. owned, this, owned and still owns a small business, and he loved real estate. So I watched my dad buy properties, flip houses. And so I, I kind of had that gene in me, just a natural interest in, in real estate. And so when we came out here, pretty quickly as the church was growing, we knew we would want to get into something that was more permanent. And it did work in our favor that the housing market had kind of crashed and there were more vacancies in buildings back then than there are now. But we kind of started just praying and processing, should should we get into a facility? We ran the math on it. We got some coaching from my lifelong mentor now, Steve Stroop from Lake Point mm-hmm. Church in Dallas, mm-hmm. Texas. And uh, just basically said, you know, the thing in the Bay Area that should be an obstacle actually can become an opportunity if we think about Mm. it differently. Mm. So we just decided as a team that we would look at it through that lens. We we could see buildings as being the reason that we, we can't grow or we could see buildings as being a significant opportunity. So for example, you know, Google can get in a building, Facebook can get in a building, all these other companies can own buildings. Why should the church be able to have facilities? And that mindset for us was really the starting point of a lot of the Mm. process that we went through to get into a building. 
Hmm. Yeah, and let's pull that apart a little bit. Help us, help me understand, because uh, I think you know it would be natural for us to think like, "Oh, this is just a huge obstacle." When you know, in lots of places in the country, you may not be going up against Facebook or Google it to compete right. for space. Uh, you know, you're going up against you know the local whatever mom and pop shop. That does create a significant uh, potential obstacle. How had that shift in kind of your thinking? How did that practically work itself out into looking for new ways? to think about buildings? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So we, in our culture, we talk about both the spiritual and the strategic working together. Uh, on the spiritual side, I had an encounter, you know, just in terms of prayer where I felt like the Lord really worked in my heart on this. Uh, it was actually early on when we planted the church, we had come out here to the Bay Area to do an exploratory trip yeah. uh, with the four families that moved out and we met with this family that had started a church and it didn't go really well for them. Hmm. And I was so discouraged after the conversation. I'm like, you know what? We should just go somewhere where we, we know it's going to work. And I remember having this real clear word from God, like, Andy, I, I want you to be a Joshua and Caleb for the hmm. Bay Area. I want you to raise up a generation of people who would have that kind of faith. And he brought to mind wow. the 12 spies. And that really became a mantra for us that turned into that obstacles into opportunities uh, mantra. And that side of it spiritually opened our eyes to start looking for opportunities. And then on the strategic side, we just said, what, what can we get into? We looked at our trajectory of growth that we had in the mm -hmm. first few years we talked to people who had helped churches raise resources before, mm -hmm. and we looked at statistically, what could you typically raise? So most churches can raise about one and a half their annual mm -hmm. budget in a multi-year giving initiative. So we played the math on that with our gr growth. And then we said, what can we get with that amount of money? And if we can get our foot in the door first, then that will help us over time get more resources, more facilities. And we can, you know, we, we learned a lot from Life Church where they were packing eight, nine services in a weekend. And we're like, well, if we can take a facility and we can just keep turning it all weekend, then that facility, like a restaurant that always has people in it, can cash flow. So then we can leverage that cash flow to then get more facilities over time. And so that that approach really did prove out for us. Uh, one of the things that really happened, so we moved into this 54,000 square foot building. When we started, we got like 22,000 square feet of it because that's all we could afford. Right. We built a relationship with the owner and we noticed like he was not taking care of the building. So we're like cutting the grass, we're painting the outside of the building, we're doing like all the things that a a tenant who's in charge should do. So we, we approached him and we're like, well, would you sell the building to us? And he said, sure. It's, you know, it's 15 million bucks or something like that. Right. Yeah. Quote some and, number, some huge. Yeah. Number. We're like, we can't, we can't afford that. But then we did the math and I know this is really in the weeds. So executive, no, no, this is good. Love this. But we did the math and we figured out what, what the guy was making on the property and he was only renting out like 80% of it. Right. So we went to him and we said, hey, if we could just pay you what you're making, would you let us be the master tenant? Because we were already doing everything. Mm. Right. And so he went back, crunched some numbers and came and said, hey, I'll sign a 35-year master lease with you guys because that's the mm. max you can get. Yeah. And then we did a giving initiative. We, we made the building nicer. We found companies in the area to use like use the rest of the 20%. And then we grew our space with the church 
And over time, we we brought our costs down, oh, so then we could go and start to get other facilities. Huh. That's fascinating. I was going to say, there's that um, that moment that so many churches face, where they're you know we're we're from a business point of view, it's a if that's an okay term to use with you, dear listener. Uh, there's this weird scenario where we have to get empty seats. In order to grow, typically, this is pre-COVID, we would yeah. typically think that way. Hey, we've got to find a bunch of empty seats and then we're going to try to fill those seats. And I love what you did there around, hey, let's let's get a little creative with our landlord and say, hey, let's sign a 35-year master lease, which um, gives us, I would assume, gave you the confidence to say, hey, we could put down some roots here. We can kind of do this well, do it how we want to do it, but that put you in the driver's seat. I love that idea. That's fantastic. Now, when you came to the fundraising side of that, um, that's an interesting story to tell. Typically, churches shy away from a more, I wouldn't even say it's that complex, but maybe not as straightforward uh, you know, building scenario. Because you eventually have to turn around and talk to donors about that, how did you talk to your people about that? How did you talk to them about you know this arrangement and then ultimately trying to uh, you know raise resources to renovate on that building? What did that look like? It's a great question. We first of all, from a principal standpoint, we want to um, underpromise and overdeliver on all the things that we ask our people to give to in, in terms of yep. building projects, and then within that, all the stuff that we're doing to the building, they can see. So it adds value to their experience while adding value from a cash flow standpoint. Mm -hmm. So somebody who comes along and wants to rent out an office, if the building's painted and the grass is cut and there's sidewalks and there's good lighting and all that, then they're much more likely to want to rent it. And when somebody shows up for a weekend service, it's like, oh, that experience is better. So it's, it's like a double value that we were able to leverage their resources. And then when people would get like, closer in, we can tell the story. We're like, Hey, guess what? You know, because of your generosity, we were able to do, do this. And because we did that, now we actually have more resources to expand and start new campuses. So like a typical Silicon Valley entrepreneur and a lot of our people who think outside the box, they love it. And then some people, it makes their eyeballs spin back in their head and it, it's just not, not worth explaining to them. Sure. But this is, this is where like the, kind of geek out nerd side of me kicks in and I love, I just love this stuff. And, uh, I have to be careful who I talk to about what, not from like an integrity standpoint, but from an interest standpoint, like they, they might not really care that much. And then I share a bunch of stuff that they're like, ah, I didn't really need to know all that. Yeah. 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 Interesting. That's good. A good, uh, maybe diving into the fundraising side of that. How did you structure that? What did you learn through that? You know, one of the, um, kind of sad things that you'll sometimes hear about church planters is it someone decides to get into church planting they're like okay well you're now going to fundraise for the next 10 years of your life you're just yeah. constantly in fundraising mode but the reality of it is my experience has been leading and growing churches that's just a reality of leading in a growing church we are constantly trying to think about how do we raise resources to uh, ultimately meet the vision that we think God's called us to that's not a that's not a bad thing that's just a normal part of growing ministry life any lessons from that that you kind of could apply to us or help us understand uh, on the fundraising side? Yeah, for that one, we uh, first of all, uh, again, back to the whole spiritual and strategic combination, I think a lot of leaders can easily drift towards the strategic without thinking through like, okay, first of all, all the resources that we have came from God mm -hmm. and we want to honor That's God so with our own personal generosity. 
And I would say that that's the starting point in terms of like us raising money for, mm-hmm. for my family personally, for Stacy and, and myself, like we love to give and that generosity journey for us. We've seen God do so many great things, both in our hearts. Uh, we've seen miracles happen in our family. I would say that that is always the starting point for a lead pastor. Like if we're not living generous lives, we don't even need to like sit down in a room and ask people to give. Right. So, so true. With within that, uh, prayer is another huge aspect on the front end of raising money. Mm-hmm. I had a little note card that I put in my Bible and I wrote down mm-hmm. specific prayer requests for the money on the front end of the church. It was more money than I had ever heard of a church plant raising, but I just right. felt like to reach people in the Bay Area and, and launch the kind of church that God had put in our heart to launch that it, it would require that amount of resources. And every day when I do my time with Jesus, I'd pull that out, I'd pray over it. And mm. I do think that there's probably a practical side of it because when you're praying about it, you're thinking about it as well. Mm. And with the support raising, I just made a huge list of all the names of people that I knew. And mm. I, at the same time, I went through Campus Crusades, uh, church research. It was actually um, ministry partnership development is what they call it. Okay. And yep, yep. like, Campus Crusade will get monthly support out of a cockroach, man. They're like, all <laughs> love them. Sure. Um, but yes. my brother-in-law who works works for Crew said their training was awesome. So I got training there. A lot of those lessons played into once we started the church. And then, you know, once you came into the church, a whole conversation, there's a ton of resources on generosity out there. Um, but then we moved into a, a giving initiative or capital campaign, whatever you want to call it. And we did that within like the first 18 months, which I'm not sure wow. is the wisest thing, but it worked for us. <laughs> sure. And uh, we we have worked that flywheel, you know, over the last 12 years where we've been able to do a lot of things that maybe we could, we wouldn't have been able to do if we hadn't had the resources. And I, as a senior leader, I'm a little bit in between, you know, like I, I am a visionary, but I'm also kind of a strategic leader as well. So I like that stuff probably Mm -hmm. more than some senior leaders do. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're a lead pastor, you are the one who, who speaks about and models generosity Mm -hmm. and, and helps the team come up with strategies around that. And that can become a limiting factor for a church. Like you could, you could grow at a rate, you can do great job with big days and evangelism and Mm -hmm. even staffing and guest experience. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the space or you don't have the resources to scale the growth, then that becomes a bottleneck. So I just, I had to grow through that whole process. I had to get better at new skills. And now, now my biggest challenge 13 years into this is it's easy to get, is to just shift into the strategic mode because I know Mm. I can do it in my sleep. So now I have to keep my heart tender where every time I'm raising resources or I'm casting vision, it has to be deep in my heart. And it's the combo of the two of those that I think really does move it forward. Uh, it's so true. I love that. And, you know, there's so much there, friends, um, around this whole resource issue. I love you highlighting the fact that as leaders, and I think this is just true biblically, that we go first, that it's our job to, as leaders, to step into these initiatives first. And then how do we um, lead from a place that keeps our hearts tender and open um, and not, you know, that it doesn't become just a routine, doesn't become just, hey, let's pull the right levers and then we can get money out of people. It, ultimately, we're doing this because we want something 
for them. Well, when you think about, uh, you know, this last year has thrown a curveball in so many churches and, you know, I think a lot of our thinking around buildings continues to shift and, and, you know, you'll hear people in this season like, oh, I'm getting rid of all our buildings or, um, you know, people are trying to think about how do we use them? We've been talking a bunch at Un Seminary around how do we leverage our buildings as we're reopening in these kind of reopening phases? Should we be thinking about, you know, more smaller you know, venues across the campus or even on site and, you know, more smaller campuses beyond one location. How are you thinking about uh, facilities kind of in this intra-COVID, because I don't think we're really post-COVID yet, in this kind of COVID season we find ourselves in? How are you thinking about that these days? Well, I would would certainly love if any of you listeners are like wanting to sell your buildings at cheaper cost. To <laughs> How about give know. your buildings? Give is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or give your buildings. Uh, <laughs> uh, part of what we're trying to do is maintain a long-term perspective. So right. in our decision-making process, we just keep saying, okay, how will this decision play out 10 years from now? Both in terms of our response to COVID, what we do with our facilities, how we go about staffing, and we've had a ton of tension around all these different decisions. And we mm-hmm. we have a lot of diversity on our team, ethnically, politically, people who see things very differently from one another. And that's, I would say, has been a good thing. It's helped us wrestle through our decisions. But that filter of how will this play out a decade from now, man, that that has really helped. Like, if it took us this long to get to where we are in terms of facilities, it's it's taken about 11 to 12 years to build, by God's grace, with to what we have now. It would be crazy to go and just start dropping things left and right and then have to re- rebuild and get those same buildings that actually will probably go up and cost 15 to 20% over the next two to three years. So if we can hang tight, I, I would say... We w- we're in the conversation with churches, trying to help other churches, and we would love to be able to be a resources to, to churches that are trying to figure out, okay, how do I leverage this building as a campus of another church moving into the future? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're trying to go full in with physical and digital. I would say the biggest tension for us at this point in the intra-COVID, I love that term, um, <laughs> is you do have limited resources as a, as a team. And how do you do, how do you go all in even our executive meeting right before I got on, uh, you know, this, the the line today, we're just kind of wrestling through our service and how we structure Mm -hmm. things and what we say. And we've got in, in our context, we have inline uh, inside, outside online. So we have all those audiences together. Yes. And, uh, we know that they'll all be there, you know, and mm-hmm. the percentage will shift over time. There'll be more people that come back inside. And uh, but at the same time, if we can maintain that long term perspective, I think that we will we will not unnecessarily push people away who may not see it the same way that we see it. Right. Yeah, I think and I think that's the key. Right. I think we have to continue to find ways, obviously, within whatever the local variants and all that look like for you listeners, but we do have to keep our options open and continue to say, hey, how do we pivot in this season, which is a terrible word to use a year later. It's like we've been talking about pivoting all year, Uh, but it's like, you know, how do we, how do we keep our options open? And I do think that like you're saying, I think what we're going to see, and we see this time and again with prevailing churches across the country there, we, what seems to be evolving 
is more options than we had March 1st, 2020, uh, you know, than we went into this thing. So, you know, you probably, I don't know if you were doing outdoor services last March, but you know, you, and were you doing that or no? No, no, no. Yeah. So you've added that, but now that you're doing it, we've heard time and again from people in, you know, in the kind of climates like yours that you can, again, I wish the whole world was like, you know, San Francisco. Uh, but you know, that you could actually do that and sustain that over years. And there could be people that would say, actually, I would love to be outside. Um, and maybe sometimes I'll go inside. Sometimes I'll go outside. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing to continue to offer more, uh, yeah, options I think one thing, Rich on that, that I, I was even thinking about over the weekend is how pre COVID, like w- we were slammed in our facility, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. at our broadcast where you're like, you know, you have, your services at 80, 90% capacity, you're trying to add services as quickly as possible. Well, a lot of those people, they, they've they shifted online, but they're still engaged. They're still in groups. They're still giving. They're still a part of the church. So if, if somebody had told us as leaders a year and a half ago that you were immediately going to get a thousand seats at optimal hours freed up to reach new people for Jesus, we would have been all over that. Right. So that's the thing that I, I'm, I keep trying to keep it at the forefront of our mind as a team is like, now we have all these seats that we can, we, we have access to reach new people. And if we're in the mindset that we're just trying to get people back, a lot mm-hmm. of them have just gotten used to this. It's kind of like, I, I used to go get my hair cut every three weeks. I go get it cut every six weeks now. And my, my routine has changed. I don't go out to eat as much anymore. And a lot of those people, that's their routine. But there's this whole portion of our society that's 90 plus percent unreached with the message of Jesus that the mm-hmm. church is not even on their radar and anything right. that we can do to reach them with one of those three options, man, we have incredible opportunity to do that. Yeah. I love that. And I love the idea of like, Hey, there, you could use your online to do that. You could do your, your various in-person environments could be reaching new people too. I love that. So similar, um, topic related, I'd love to get your thoughts around debt and around church debt. And, you know, there's a real wide spectrum there of kind of how churches think about debt and use debt. Um, and, uh, you know, and some, some churches are, uh, like I had a mentor once say to me, um, yeah, I encourage churches to take on as much debt as possible because it keeps them hungry. <laughs> and, uh, and then I've heard, you know, folks on the other end of the spectrum that are more in the like, hey, we don't ever take on any debt at all. How have you, how has debt played into the story uh, as you've been opening up these various locations? And what, what does that look like for you guys? That's a great question. I would say that this is a, this is something that operates off of trade-off. So the, yep. the principles here are every way you do it, there's a trade-off. Mm-hmm. And the more aware you are of the different trade-offs, the, the better decisions that you can make. Mm-hmm. So in some contexts, it might be the wisest thing to really pay off all your debt. In other contexts, it might be the wise thing to absorb debt. Mm-hmm. And on both ends of that, there's probably some foolishness that could prevent you from moving forward. Right. For example, if you have so much debt that your house poor and you're you got 30 to 40% of your budget going to buildings and you can't do evangelism and you can't fill those buildings up with people, then it's like, well, that's probably not wise. On the other hand, if you're no debt becomes a God or an idol that it, you know, in some churches, they're, they're more concerned about not having debt than they are reaching the loss. With reaching people. Yeah. Yeah. That that's also a, a big problem. Uh, we've tried to look at this reality here. We know we want buildings mm-hmm. and 
it's going to take buildings in our context to reach thousands of people. And here in the Bay Area, real estate is it over historically every five to seven year period. It is it's almost a straight up curve. Right. Right. So if you the, the cost of real estate today, the same building 10 years from now or five years from now, you're looking 50 50 percent more than what you would pay. So if you can say, let's say you want to buy a $10 million building and it's going to take you five years to save five million on that, you yes. you you now like you have lost five the five million you saved, you lost in the, the real estate going up. Yep. And we've we've tried to keep that mindset. For us in the Bay Area, that's what makes sense. Now, when we get a building, we do want to we want to drive down that debt as much as we can. But like a commercial, this is where I think church leaders who this is what they're kind of leading would be mm-hmm. wise to look at commercial real estate to learn from people who do commercial real estate. They're always this is what I learned from my dad. You're, his phrase was, "You're always robbing Peter to pay Paul." Like you're always moving money around, so yep. you're you're leveraging equity to get more assets and then you're cash flowing those assets and you're driving down debt so that you can leverage more equity to get more assets. So it's a snowball that builds. Mm-hmm. Now, if I were in a context where you could go and buy 15, 20 acres of land and it was like a 2% increase a year, I'm, right. I might switch the strategy. So the strategy I think has to be tailored within the framework of trade-offs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very good. I love that. And and that exact scenario that you described, so many church leaders don't think that through. They're like, hey, we're going to take a number of years to raise X amount of dollars, but what's going to happen to the value of the thing we're trying to build? How how costly is it going to be? You'll, you'll even see people will like, they'll get estimations on cost and then they still, they're holding on to an estimation that's five years old but the cost of lumber has gone up or the cost of steel's changed and and that number is useless uh you know today yeah. so that's that's super good that's a good insight one one other little rule of thumb that i think is super helpful on this is that i i kind of want to max in terms of facility at 25% so i wouldn't want to have more than 25% going towards uh whether it's debt and facilities and all the costs that are included mm-hmm. with that but then I would think about giving initiatives and there's a lot of different trade-offs. You know, you can do the end of the year thing where you raise an additional 15 to 20% or multi-year. Mm-hmm. You can leverage giving initiatives with missions and church planting involved in that to raise additional resources. And if mm-hmm. you have upward trajectory of growth, so like church leaders should always be looking year over year, which now I know that that's ho- totally shot, but it will get back into a new cadence. If you look year over year at your rate of growth and you have three, four, five years of you're growing by two or 300 people, it's it's likely that if you get a new building, you're going to continue to grow by at least two, three, four hundred people. So you have good math now with some rules of thumb that can allow you to expand over a period of time, build more equity and then do the same thing over again like a flywheel. Love it. So good. I, this has been such a fun conversation. And uh, like I say, I, we were, you were joking earlier, like, yeah, I, I love geeking out on this stuff. It's such a, it's, a, it's an important piece of the puzzle and a good conversation. Definitely not the kind of thing they're talking about in seminary, for sure. Well, is there, as we kind of come to land the episode, anything else you'd like to uh, to share? Any other comments you want to toss in here? Yeah. One, one thing, Rich, first of all, I really do appreciate what you do to help pastors and 
the the fact that you're taking on an angle that so many church leaders are not getting in seminary is is so crucial. I remember so many times sitting in seminary classes just thinking, man, I I love I love the Bible theology stuff. It's great and I do need it, but I, I probably need an MBA and I need some other stuff to help me. So this is so helpful. Um, one thing I would say to church leaders right now, one passage of scripture that the Lord has really been just impressing upon me is a story in the Old Testament with Daniel and the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you'll remember when they got thrown into the fiery furnace, and it says that at the end of that, they came out, they hadn't been burned, and they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. And that's that's my prayer, even coming through this COVID season. Like a lot of us as leaders, we're coming out of COVID with the smell of smoke on us and some burns. And I would just encourage leaders, like whatever whatever you can do, get healthy during the season, mm. because we want to have a long haul approach. And even personally, I know this is kind of a twist from what we've been talking about, but I'm, I'm personally going through some therapy now just to kind of rehash and learn and, and get the lessons the Lord wants me to get. Our whole world has been rocked over the last 12 years. There's probably some PTSD in there. There's probably some, mm-hmm. some trauma that so many leaders are facing. And just to, to remember that your health as a leader influences everything that you touch and mm. everything that you lead. And to, to be a healthy leader is so crucial to us being able to reach people for Jesus, to disciple people, and for us to really work with the Holy Spirit, staying close to God so that we're coming through this season not smelling like smoke. Love it. So good, Andy. I've loved having you on the show. If people want to, where do we want to send them online? If people want to track with you or track with the church, where's, where do we want to send them? I would send them to echo.church slash leadership podcast. So our team mm-hmm. here, we've we put together a leadership podcast. We do a lot of the, the, these kind of conversations. We have actually um, started hosting on our podcast, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, VCs, kind of more that angle of what's happening here in the Bay Area. And there on the podcast, we have a lot of different resources that we've put together to help church leaders. We also host a conference um, annually that's called the Echo Leadership Conference. So if you just go to echoleadership.org, uh, you'll find that there. And we would love to do anything that we can to help church leaders, business leaders thrive and and grow and become all that God's created them to be. Love it. Thanks so much, Andy. Appreciate you being here today. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.